0: As Tim was singing that song, leading us in that worship, that beautiful worship, Psalm 103 came to my mind. Beautiful psalm. I encourage you to meditate on it, think on it. It's rich and it's deep. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. King David's talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? Sometimes we need to talk to ourselves. We need to tell our souls, bless the Lord, bless him, thank him. He forgets and forgets none of his benefits he pardons all your iniquities he heals all your disease he redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who would not want to be a christian it's such a beautiful thing to be here on this earth living this life and having this divine relationship with our heavenly father and his son the lord jesus christ and it's not dead dry boring and dull it's rich and it's deep and it's flowing it's like living waters flowing through us by his holy spirit that's the relationship that god calls us all to so bless his holy name give thanks every day wake up and say lord I'm here for you. Feel my life over and flowing. That's what it's about. Let that be our heart's cry. Let that be our heart's cry. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning's worship. Lord, touch our hearts. Lord, you've already touched my heart during worship. I pray that you continue to touch our hearts as we study your word this morning and hear what you have to say to us speak lord we're listening we're going to hear the words from scripture which is your inspired word lord we love you and praise you for us in jesus is awesome magnificent wonderful beautiful name we pray amen amen you may have a seat you may have a seat and raise your hand if you don't have a bible Um, and Andy will give you a Bible. I'm going to tell you right now, my my two favorite translations are the New King James and the NASB. And if you follow me, please forgive me if you've heard me preaching out at New King James, and then this morning I'm going to preach out of the NASB. I'm just torn between the two because I love both translations and uh, I'm not stuck on any one translation, but those are my two favorite translations, and love teaching from them, love the, the deep, rich theology that they bring in the literal uh, translation of Scripture. But this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 23. We're studying Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 39. So let's read Scripture and see the direction that God's Word is taking us in our study this morning. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. It says but woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people for you do not enter in yourself nor do you allow those who are entering to go in woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites because you devour widows houses and for pretense you make long prayers therefore you will receive a greater condemnation woe to you woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by gold of the temple is obligated. Father, thank you for your word. As we study it this morning, uh, open our hearts, Lord. And help us just to sit back and just soak it in. Soak it in, meditate on it, and let it renew our hearts and minds. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. The title of my message this morning is Don't Be a Pharisee. Last week I, t- I taught Don't Be a Pharisee, part one. This week is Don't Be a Pharisee, part two. Many people view Jesus as this meek and mild and loving uh, Lord and Savior. But this morning in our text, Jesus is not meek and mild. He is tort. He is upset. He is going to lay the wood on the Pharisees. There is no seeker sensitivity in this message that he's fixing to preach. Uh, there's no concern for their self esteem. There's no concern for their sentimental feelings. He is going to lay the wood. In this passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, 26 verses, he uses seven names to describe the Pharisees. Let's look at those. In this passage, he's going to call them snakes, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, sons of hell, you brood of vipers, you fools, and you hypocrites. He is going to lay it hard on them because of their religious hypocrisy because they were not the real deal they had a a mask on there's nothing worse than being fake there's nothing worse than leading others astray there's nothing worse than leading others towards eternal damnation and that's what the pharisees and the scribes were doing It's like they're standing outside the door of a true relationship with God and they're pointing people to their legalism. They're pointing them to their traditions. They're pointing them not to the true and living God, but to this form of legalism and religion. And Jesus is going to drop the hammer. So y'all ready to study Jesus dropping the hammer? Let's take a look at it. Verse 13. He says, "'But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You do not enter in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So there's two words that you need to, that you need to see in verse 13. He's going to use, uh, the, the two words are woe and hypocrites. The word woe is used eight times in our study this morning. The word woe is an exclamation of divine judgment. God is saying, I am warning you, do not do this. And if you choose to cross this line, brace yourself for judgment. That's the word woe. The second word is hypocrite. A hypocrite is an actor. It's someone who, says, who, who, who is not who they say they are. It's someone with a mask. That's what this is. That's the two key words in our study this morning. And then he says, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. So the scribes and the Pharisees, They were supposed to teach god's word and they were supposed to teach what it meant to have a relationship with god that's what all true leaders in the church in the body of christ do old testament new testament they are to teach the people about god and teach them how to be in a right relationship with god but the scribes and the pharisees during the first century they were doing just the opposite they were doing just the opposite. They were not teaching people about a relationship with God. They elevated their traditions and their religious rules over the word of God. Friends and family, I've only got one good thing to share with you, and that's this. Not my ideas, not my thoughts, not my philosophies, not my traditions. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, He warns us, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. This is the only good thing that we have to share. You know, their their legalism is worthless religion. There's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no teaching people about right living. Let it not be said of us, family, Not let it not be said of Christians. We don't close the door to people. We open the door. We open the door to the world to tell them about Christ. We say, don't look at us. Don't look at Calvary Chapel. Look to Jesus. That's how you open the door. Is you tell them about how great and awesome the Lord Jesus Christ is. You explain to them about his great love displayed for them at the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Explain to them John three sixteen that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what it means to open the door. And if you're not giving them Jesus, if you're not introducing them to a relationship with Christ, you are closing the door. And we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We want to tell people about Jesus. We want to tell people about grace. And we want to tell people um, how to walk in truth. So let's don't. So here's the here's the here it is. Don't be a Pharisee. Tell them about Christ and how good Jesus is. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive Woe, a greater condemnation, verse 14. This, this command right here is in parentheses in Matthew's gospel, but it's also in two other gospels that Jesus said in this point. And here, uh, the Pharisees, they, they prayed on the vulnerable, okay? The religious leaders, they prayed on the vulnerable. Here, the widows, and they made lengthy prayers to, to, to build a rapport with them so that they could exploit and take advantage of the widows. And that is a very evil, bad thing to do. Exodus chapter 22, verse 22 through 24 says, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless, If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. And look at verse 24. This is God speaking. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Yikes. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. God holds in high esteem how we take care of the less fortunate, how we take care of widows, and how we take care of orphans okay they don't serve us we serve them in any way we can in helping them in life notice at the end of verse 14 he says therefore you will receive a greater condemnation there will be a greater condemnation in hell for false teachers who take advantage of widows and orphans and try to suck all their money out and take all their all the stuff they have you don't play. You don't play with, with God's children. You don't play with widows, orphans, and those less fortunate. Again, we, the body of Christ, we Christians, the church, we serve the less fortunate. We don't try to pull nothing from them. So don't be a Pharisee, okay? Let's take care of those people in need, as, as this passage is showing us. Verse 15 It's just woe after woe after woe after woe. That's when he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'because you travel around on sea and land "'and make one proselyte, "'and when he becomes one, "'you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself.'" One of Israel's callings in the Old Testament was to be a light to the Gentile nations. Their job was to point the surrounding nations to the one true God. Pharisees were not, the Pharisees were not obeying this command. They were not shining the light. They were on a campaign to convert the world to legalism, to their tradition, to their religion. Instead of winning souls for God, they're sending people to hell. Because obeying the, Paul says in Galatians, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. It takes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our works are nothing in God's sight. They're filthy rags, the scripture says. What we all need, what, what, what redeems us, what saves us, and what takes us to heaven is the grace of God and our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians bring one message to this world, and it's not the message of legalism. It's forgiveness of sin and freedom in Christ, the gospel makes sinners sons and daughters of the Most High God, and it saves them from the damnation of hell. He calls them sons of hell, I meaning they're, they're in darkness. They're not heading for heaven. They're heading for hell. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated, you fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? So here he calls them... Uh, in verse 16 and 17, he calls them blind guides and blind men. The Pharisees were blind guides, meaning they did not know God. They did not know God. Their eyes, their spiritual eyes, were closed. They did not know him as he was meant to be known through his word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in, the heart, in your heart... In the hearing of God's word that produces faith and produces this authentic, intimate relationship with Christ. Verse 8, I believe i verse, yeah, verse 18. He's going to, dig in, he's going to continue why there are blind guides and there are blind men. Verse 18, he says, And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that, or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who, dwell, who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. I read all those verses, verses 18 through 22, because this this text, this portion of scripture, really goes nicely together. And there's one thought, uh, there's one point in verses 18 through 22. And the point that Jesus is driving home here, and actually verses 16 through 22, is this. A person's word carries a lot of weight. It's supposed to carry a lot of weight anyway. You know, when you give your word... You are to fulfill your word. Be a person of your word. Because the Pharisees could not always be trusted. This is what's going on. Because of their hypocrisy and because the Pharisees could not always be trusted, they, what they did, it's really strange and difficult to understand, but they created a system to swear by. Okay, i.e., if you look in that text, temple or the gold in the temple or swearing by the altar, or the offering made on the altar. What's the difference? If you're swearing, you're swearing. If you're, if you're giving your word, and what Jesus is saying here in this text is don't swear. It's that's, that's, that's simply put. It's just foundational, what he's saying in this text is don't swear. Let your word be your word, okay? That's very important as Christians. Don't be like a Pharisee, okay? Keep your word. Do what you say you're going to do. And don't swear. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 34 through 37, he, he, he nails this point. But I say to you, make no oaths at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these things is, uh, these is of evil. Basically, keep your word. And you know, I, this just gets on so my nerves. I haven't heard it in a long time. I used to hear it a lot. I don't, I don't hear it a lot no more. But when people come up to me and they say, I swear to G-O-D, that just cringes me. And when people come up to me and, and I swear to you I'll do this. That is the first sign that they won't. That they have to swear. You know, we shouldn't have have to swear. We shouldn't have to reassure anybody that we will keep our words. What we need to do in the first place is just manage our words well, okay? We need to manage our words well and be people of our words. If you say you're gonna do something, do it. If you say you're not gonna do something, then don't do it. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Think your words out clearly. And when people think of who you are, let them know that he or she, they keep their word. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's no need to swear and make these oaths. Just be a man or woman of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. There's no need to have to to emphasize it by by swearing or or, or using God's name in vain uh, inappropriately. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that's, what, that's how, how we as Christians are Christians and not Pharisees. We let our yes, we, we be people of our word, and we don't use um, colorful language to emphasize the point that we're trying to make. Let's continue, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Is there a verse in the Old Testament that this brings to your mind? I'll, I'll bring it up in just a minute, where he says justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Be thinking about that for a second. There's a real famous verse, that I'll give you a hint, it's in Micah, that I think Jesus is alluding to. Because Jesus, being an eternal God, he inspired the Old Testament, and this alludes to a verse. But anyway... What's going on here in verses 23 is uh, the Pharisees stressed the minor things, and they neglected the things that are more important. That's what's going on here in this text. You know, they were they were um, stressing little stuff, but but the big and weightier things they were neglecting. You know, God wants you to give. God wants you to support your church to support missions, to support outreach, okay? But you know what he wants more than your money? Matter of fact, leave your money at home till you get these weightier things. What he wants more than your money is he wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. He wants your commitment to evangelism. He wants your commitment to discipleship. He wants your commitment to helping others. So they were emphasizing tithing on Dale Cuman, but they were neglecting the big and the heavier things of the Christian faith. You know, we like to say, yeah, I go to church on Sunday mornings. I drop, a, I drop a check or whatever in the offering. And those are simple things that we can do out of obedience, but there's things that are even greater than those that need to be done first before we get to the small things. And that is evangelism, discipleship. And helping other people. These are the weightier things of Christianity that he's talking about. Now, that phrase, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Does anybody know what passage I'm talking about? I think I, think I, heard, I heard, heard the number. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. I think Jesus is thinking about that, this verse as he's saying this to the, um, to the Pharisees. But Micah 6, 8 says this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. This is what is good, family. To, to, to do what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's where God wants our heart, okay? That's where God wants the meat of our, the thrust of serving the Lord. Is discipleship, evangelism and building relationships, and obeying Christ. And then he knows he says in verse 24, he says, you blind guides, you strain out the gnat and swallow a camel. Back in the first century, a gnat and a camel, they were considered unclean animals. And I read this week in, in rabbinical writings, they say that the Pharisees, they would close their teeth and sip their drink to keep any gnats that were in their liquid from going into their mouth. They, that's what they would do. They would strain the gnats out. But yet, they'll swallow the camel whole. In other words, they, they, they will do things that are, that are egregious, that are sinful. But then they won't, they won't obey the small commands. And God calls us to give all of our heart to commit everything to him in our life. Verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, clean, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all unclean. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what he's talking about here, this is a warning against religious reform. Religious reform. What does that mean, Pastor David? That means where we work on cleaning up the outside of our life and not working on the heart. Okay, let me give you a hint. Let me give you a tip when it comes to spiritual growth. If you get the inside right the outside will follow okay we gotta get our hearts oriented right it's always been about the heart you know we have to examine our hearts we have to look at our hearts we have to pray and say lord by your holy spirit shine your light on my heart show me where my heart truly is and wherever whatever he finds is wrong ask the holy spirit to change it And when the Holy Spirit changes your heart on the inside, the outside will follow. The outside will follow. What man needs is a new heart. Because of sin, man is a dead corpse. And religion, legalism, is makeup. It's makeup on a dead corpse. But Christianity, the gospel, is heart surgery. It's heart surgery. It is a new you raised from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, which, by the way, is one of our banners right here. Raised from death to life. Before we come to Christ, we are dead. But when when you come to Christ and you serve Christ, you become alive on the inside. Listen to what the apostle said in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, verse three, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were made alive together with Christ. So when you come to Christ and you invite him into your life, you are raised to new life. it, it, It is a new you in Christ. All your sins completely forgiven. The Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside and and then the outside naturally takes care of itself and the problem with the Pharisees is they had that backwards they were focused on the outer appearance, they cared about how people saw them in in, in their robes and in their gowns and in their religious duties and Jesus is saying it's about the heart it's about changing the heart you get the heart right the outside will follow Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tomb of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You, here it is. Not very nice words for them. He's describing who they are on the inside. Verse 33, you serpents. You brood of vipers. In other words, a bed of baby snakes. How will you escape the sentence of hell? He speaks to the Pharisees very harshly. Jesus never spoke to sinners this way. It was to those who knew the truth, but rejected or ignored the truth. That's who he spoke these harsh words to. It was those who knew it, but rejected it. A serpent's, ven- uh, a serpent's venom is, is deadly, we know. Especially I've heard that the smaller the snake is, the, the more deadly the venom is. So is Christless, graceless religion. It's just the same as venom. Legalism sends people to hell grace takes people to heaven. Verse 34 Therefore behold I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may fall the the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth and from the blood of righteous Abel and the blood of Zechariah the son of Barich whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Okay. Abel and Zechariah here were the first and last martyrs of the Old Testament. Okay? Um, Cain murdered Abel. Why? Why did Cain murder Abel? For his brother's purity and godliness. He did not like it. He did not like what he was seeing. So instead of repenting, he assaulted him and killed him righteousness itself is a type of judgment on sin when we live righteous before the lord we are showing the world that them living in sin is wrong and it brings an animosity it it brings an anger Zechariah zachariah was murdered in the house of god for faithfully proclaiming god's word it's not going to make everyone happy And it's going to upset some people. Since the dawn of time, faithful servants and preachers of the gospel have faced hatred, animosity, and cruel criticism by the world. They were not looking for the fight. We're not looking for a fight. We're not looking for adversity. But it was in the message. It was in the message. You see, the world does not like the word repent. It hits their ears with this stinging effect. Okay, the world loves their sin like a child loves his lollipop. Okay, it's true. You take a lollipop from a child and that child will let you have it. You will experience the child's wrath and fury until you stick that lollipop back in their mouth. Okay, they will let you have it. When you tell the world they have to repent, that they can't have their lollipop of sin, it will anger them. It will anger them. And you may experience their pleasure and anger. But here's what we got to do, family, when they get upset with us. We have to help them understand this. God is good. God is good. And God's way is Perfect. God's way is pure. God's way is holy. God's way is right. God's way, it brings blessing. It brings blessing and and a clear mind and a clean heart. And it brings joy. The way of the sinner is hard. The way of rebellion is a hard life. It's difficult. Sin, though it may seem pleasurable for a season, It will kill and destroy them. But what God has for you and for me and for people that will trust in him is perfect. It is perfect. In Christ, everything that he gives us is perfect, right, and it will fulfill every single need you have in this life. It's that beautiful. It's that glorious. He says, repent turn from your sin and I will give you something better I will give you something more fulfilling I will fill your heart I will fill your life and that message that's why we have to help people understand we're not just trying to put a wet blanket over their life and tell them they can't have fun or they can't do this or they can't do that we have to tell them that sin is sin and God has something better for them on the other side of repentance that is beautiful and is glorious and it will satisfy every need that they have in their heart but again when you confront sin it's going to be difficult it's going to be challenging but God is good and God will fill their lives with something greater than a lollipop verse 36 let's wrap this up truly I say to you all these things will come upon this generation. What's he talking about there? Because of their hypocrisy and their rebellion, judgment's going to come. The Pharisees are going to come to an end. Jerusalem's going to come to an end. It's uh, roughly 30, 40 years after this, Jerusalem will be, will be leveled for their rejection of Christ. And their system uh, will come to an end. It will, it will come to an end. Verse 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her. You know, God sends the prophets. God sends Christians. God sends witnesses. But what did they do? The same thing the world does today. They stone them and they kill them and they try to silence them. We see the heart of God in verse 37. Look at it. This is the heart of the Father, towards the world that we live in. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. God is like, I want to bring you into this right relationship with me. I want to cover you like a hen covers her little chicklets with her wings and gather you into this personal and intimate relationship, this life of blessing, this life of joy, this life of fulfillment in serving God. But at the end of verse 37, we see man's heart. We we see man's heart. At the end of verse 37, it says, but you were unwilling. The scripture says that God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should come to their senses and experience his love His grace, his truth, his mercy, and his amazing power. That's what God wants his people to experience. That is what he offers this world. He says in verse 38, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. It's all coming down. It's all coming down. Verse 39, For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think he's talking about the kingdom there. He's talking about the millennial reign of Christ where the Lord Jesus Christ will rule for a literal thousand years here on this earth and Jerusalem will be the capital of the new, of the new world and the kingdom and it's gonna be beautiful. But going back to the, to the thesis of my teaching this morning is what I want you to take home from this uh, study this morning is this don't be a Pharisee don't be a Pharisee and how do, we, how, how, do we, how do we not be a Pharisee we show people the beauty and the truth of God's word this word brings freedom this word brings joy this, this word brings happiness this, this word brings peace it, it, it troubles, it, 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 excuse me, it settles a troubled heart. Jesus said in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, In my Father's house are many mansions. The word of God brings benefit. It brings joy. And most importantly, Scripture brings us, it brings us into a relationship with Christ. That's how we, we not become a Pharisee. Secondly, we invite all to come to Christ. We invite everyone. Everyone, all people from all walks of life come to the living water. Experience grace. Experience truth. Experience love. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how deep, how far you're enchained in sin. God can bring you out of the pit. And he can rescue you redeem you you don't have to have it all together just receive him as your Lord and Savior and through the process of growing through the process of discipleship he will transform and change your heart that is our invitation we don't look to the world and say well you do this 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 and this and you act this way this way this way this way no that's the Pharisee we don't change people's hearts okay the Holy Spirit changes their hearts As they study the word of God, and as they're in fellowship, don't be a Pharisee. Be faithful to the word of God, not to traditions or religion, but faithful to what's written in God's holy word. As uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman said back in the 90s, leave long-faced religion behind, okay? And experience his joy, his peace, his power, and his amazing work in our lives. You know, I, 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 I'm constantly praying and, and asking the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, what do you want to do in my life? Where do you want to move me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want, where do you want Calvary Chapel Irmo to go in the future? You know, I'm constantly asking the Lord to uh, not be set in my own ways, but to be led by the Holy Spirit and be open to, to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So it's not just uh, me and the elders sitting around in a circle making executive decisions on where the church is going to go based on our own desires, our own needs, our own wants, but genuinely coming together and saying, men, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, not religion, to lead us and guide us. And finally, don't be a Pharisee by walking in his peace. By walking in his peace, walking in his grace, and walking in his love. Let the world see your love for Christ. And let the world see your love for him. The Pharisees back in that day, man, they, they had all their robes and their religious attire. The The, the sinners and people that were living in the dark corners of Jerusalem, they stayed away from the Pharisees because they felt like they they, they could never make it. They, they, they they, They felt intimidated by the Pharisees. Let not that be said of us, family. Let's rub shoulders with the world. Let's rub shoulders with people who don't know Christ and let's show them the love and grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father. As we've studied last week and this week uh, uh, on what the, how, what the Pharisees were all about. Help us, Lord, to guard our hearts from being a Pharisee in our relationship with you. But Lord, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us live in the Spirit. Let us trust in your word. Let us love you. Let us obey you. Let us follow you with all of our hearts. And Lord, let us, the world around us see our love for you and then lord show let us love them with the love that you've given us in our hearts lord guard us from being religious guard us from being a pharisee and help us to live a life of love faithfulness and obedience to you so lord we love you and praise you First in jesus's awesome name i pray amen Yesterday afternoon, I went to my study, started opening the Word, and I'm looking forward to the next couple weeks. Next couple weeks, two or maybe three Sundays, we're going to look at Matthew chapter uh, 24. And if you like eschatology, we're going to be studying what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse on the things that are to come, the signs of the end of the age. No man knows the day, no man knows the hour, I'm not going to make no predictions but we're gonna study what Jesus said. So we're going from don't be a Pharisee last Sunday, this Sunday, to the next couple Sundays studying the Olivet Discourse. As Jesus talks about the temple's gonna be destroyed and he's gonna talk about the great tribulation and and the abomination of desolation. He's gonna take us back to Daniel chapter nine and Daniel chapter 11. So I hope you've been blessed by the teaching at Calvary Chapel, Irmo, but just wanna give you a heads up what we're gonna be looking at over the next couple weeks. I encourage everyone, man, go home. You read the passage. You take your notes. Study the Word. Show yourself approved. But that's where I'll be teaching from over the next couple weeks is Matthew chapter 24. Father, thank you, Lord, again for the fellowship. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the Word. Help us to walk in this grace. grace. Help us to walk in this truth and help us to walk in your love. First in Jesus' awesome name, I pray.